Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello! And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take your questions on neighbor fences and finances, awkward ex-introductions, tipping with peer pressure, and how to deliver thank you notes. Plus your most excellent feedback, etiquette salute, and a postscript segment continuing our trend of tricky foods, the S section. For Awesome Etiquette Sustaining members, your extra question of the week is about a dinner party that's really an engagement party. All that's coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be produced in Burlington, Vermont by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning. I'm back from on a mini break from book tour. Welcome home. <laughs> Thank you. Before you go again. I know. <laughs> I was uh, in Boulder, Colorado and Denver, Colorado last week. Managed to... Me too. Uh, yeah, you are. This is the annoying thing. Dan and I never get to travel together for business. In fact, we rarely get to do a lot of things together for business. It's always one of us or the other one. It's one of the reasons why we love this show so much. Right. And a New York trip is definitely in our future. We have a, to do the New York trip. New York is like in our future for sure. In the 12 years that Dan and I have been working together and for all we the, keep saying, yeah, we're all the do frequency, a New York well, you and I need to do a New York trip because in the 12 years and with all the frequency that we go down there and the meetings with publishers and things like that, we have never gone together. I don't know your favorite lunch spot. We've, it's, I don't have one, but it's, it is one of those things where I'm like, Dan and I have never liked a New York together. And we've had very few opportunities to do any kind of seminars or anything together. So this show is really it. But we were going to be in Colorado at the same time. One day apart. One day apart. You'd think we could organize a little overlap. Well, we couldn't because unfortunately Dan was single dadding it while while Pooja's away. And so it was definitely one of those like, no, I've got to get home. This is baby's first overnight without mom or dad. So it was a big deal. And I was like, I've got to get home at the time. I I can't stay an extra day. Um, and so it just didn't it didn't work out, but it was really fun being there. But you almost didn't quite make it out there the right way, and I almost didn't make it to my book signing because there was a blizzard. Of course, like the big freak, April blizzard. April blizzard. I mean, not freak because, as we know, in the north, it, it, this can happen. Although I don't know if I consider Colorado the north. It's just the it's got mountains. It's the cold. <laughs> it's got weather. Um, but it it really was. A crazy blizzard. And I am a Vermonter. I am used to driving in the snow. I know how to go slow when I need to go slow. I know how to test my tire. Like, I know I know how to drive. But 
I was not prepared for the Denver Boulder area's use of chemicals on the roads instead of salt. And it, it does wonders for the environment, so I'm told, but it does not do wonders for safe driving conditions. It doesn't melt the ice the it same. It doesn't do it. And uh, when I looked at my car when I got back at the end of the night, it was like, it looked like glaciers on the undercarriage of it. Like, But I saw at least 10 cars off the road, mostly just slid off into ditches, but a, a couple that were pretty banged up and you were worried about the people. But it was one of those, you take a half hour drive between Boulder and Denver and you you do it in an hour and a half because you're going literally like 20 miles an hour on the highway. <laughs> it, it was a good turnout. We had seven people for a blizzard, for a blazing book signing blizzard adventure. <laughs> I was definitely thinking about you because <laughs> Pooch was supposed to leave a day ahead of me. Right. And her first set of flights just got completely just, no, don't Ow. even bother. Don't even try. Don't even come to the airport this morning. Mm-hmm. And... My flights also all got pushed back, mostly because of the congestion and all the flight patterns. Totally. But because of that, there were then hundreds, thousands of people looking for those precious few remaining Tickets. seats into Denver. Yeah. And I was scared I wasn't going to make it. Happy ending. Pooj and I ended up both On pushed flight. onto different flights, but the same flight and That's got to right. travel together, which was awesome. Which is really and also very rare uh, instance, both you and I traveling to the same city and you and Pooj then getting to when you're not traveling to the same city, travel together. <laughs> Truly. And I ended up pushed back so tight that you and I had been going to miss anyway. We missed by even more. We missed by we were we were close. If I had been able to get out the door a little faster from the restaurant that I was at for dinner, I would have been able to to just catch you as as I was walking into the airport and you were walking out of it. But that High five been as we go yeah, security exactly. in different directions. Like, all right. But book tour has been really fun. It was amazing to go back to Magnolia Road Dispensary and spend time there. I had a really great book signing. It was really cool seeing all the bud tenders that still work there. It was It was a really good time. And people are asking really thoughtful and good questions, both those who who consume and those who don't. And so it's been a really fun book tour so far. And New York City is next. I was going to say, where next? So for the big April 20th, 420 holiday, I will be in New York City. And we are recording before, but the show will air after. So I'm sure there will be an update on another episode. But it's really fun. We're doing table setting demonstrations and having good conversations about difficult conversations. (laughs) And it's it's been a really great tour so far. Well, I'll say keep us posted. I will. Our favorite joke. (laughs) This is lovely. It's good to see you again. (laughs) Good to see you, too. We have some work to get to. We do. Let's get to some questions. Let's do it. Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions on how to behave. And if you have a question for us, you can email it to awesomeetiquette, that's E-T-I-Q-U-E-T-T-E, at emilypost.com. Leave us a voicemail or text message at 802-858-KIND, that's 802-858-5463. We are also on social media. Find us on Twitter and Facebook. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette with your social media post so that we know you want your question on the show. Sustaining members, please remember to put sustaining member in your message. Awesome Etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. 
From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, Mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. (laughs) After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story Worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. This question's about fence finances. And Elise left her question via voicemail. We love that. My question is about fence etiquette in the backyard. I want to put up a fence in my yard, and I had quickly spoken with one of my neighbors who considered contributing to the side we share and mentioned that she would love to follow up on it. But I haven't heard back from them in about a month. And I had left a note on their door with my contact information I realized we had not actually traded information at this point. We're pretty new neighbors. And I just wanted to see how I should follow up. I know they're not obligated to help pay in any way, and I would definitely like to let both sides of the neighbors know about the construction before I book it. Um, But I did already have quotes, and if they wanted to get on board, I wanted to get them involved, and I just haven't had a chance to bring it up with them or run into them for any length of time. I was wondering if there's any protocol on how to proceed. Thank you so much. I enjoy your podcast and would love to hear back. Elise, this is so great that you're thinking about this. It is sort of a delicate issue. Putting up fences is definitely the responsibility of the homeowner who's choosing to put the fence up. But that being said, it is something that often both neighbors benefit from. And so it's worth asking the question. My neighbors asked me. They decided that they were going to replace an older six-foot privacy fence with a newer six-foot privacy fence. And they came over and asked if I wanted to contribute to it. And I unfortunately couldn't contribute to it. So I said, I really want to thank you for asking me. I'm certainly thrilled that you're willing to put put replace the fence with a nicer fence. That's great. I can't contribute to it. But, you know, let me know if I can be of any help in any other ways. And it turned out that by the end of the fence building, they needed to move their fence. Uh, the last length of the fence needed to angle about like, you know, a foot into my yard at the corner of the post. And I was fine with that. So it was it's great. But 
I didn't feel pressured to say yes to expenses that I can't afford, even though I was going to be benefiting from them. There was no place that that money was going to come from. And so the answer had to be no. They did check in a second time just before uh, fence construction started. Um, And I again said, I'm sorry, my circumstances haven't changed, but let me know if I can be of any help as you're putting it up. But that was really kind of how our conversation went. I think that for Elise, you could easily just let them know, uh, doing this project, we had spoken about it before, wanted to give you the estimates, and only if you are able or willing to contribute, that's great. And if not, I completely understand, but I just wanted to put it out there. And I think that it's perfectly fine to do so. I do think, though, that no matter what, and it sounds like Elise is already doing this, you should always come at these kinds of projects with the full idea that you are responsible for this fence, and it's perfectly fine that it benefits your neighbor. And I don't say that being a neighbor who benefited, but I do say that as if you're going to change things on your property, that's really up to you. And it's it's one thing to talk with Nate. Like if Dan and I lived next door to each other, and we were both talking about wanting a fence but not being able to afford it, we might together say, hey, we could do this together. And I think that's a more natural way for that to occur. But when one person's just putting up a fence and then says, well, you're going to get a benefit, so you should pay, that's when we hit rude territory. And it doesn't sound like Elise is anywhere close to that. Not at all. So for me, the key is really having this discussion well. And a little bit of preparation can go a long way. We have talked on the show before, and we will talk again about priming people to have a discussion by asking the question, is now a good time to talk? I had mentioned before something about a fence. I was wanting to check in with you about it. Something like that that just gets their buy-in to having the discussion. Also, I love it when you prime a discussion like that, when you ask permission to have it, and you state kind of the general topic of it because is now a good time to talk? Well, depends. Do you want to talk about the weather, the daisies you just planted, your mother's illness? Like it could be not a good time for some of those conversations. So I like your idea of is it a good time to talk about the fence I had brought up before? Another trick that I like is to mentally prepare yourself. And for me, that mental preparation can often involve knowing what my bottom lines are, where my control is in a situation. If this conversation goes really well, I might have these outcomes. But if it doesn't go well, this is where my bottom lines are. This is what I know. And I think what you know in this situation is something my cousin said very clearly, which is that you can always build this fence on your property and make any decision you want. You can pay for it yourself, build it on your property, and that's – your choice to make. So you've actually got a lot of control here. As you start to open this possibility up a little bit, you start to get into more of a collaboration. Well, maybe we're actually going to build this fence right on the boundary. It's going to be something that we share. I think then you also want to be ready to listen, be ready to negotiate, be ready to compromise. I want a three-foot fence. I want a six-foot fence. I really like wood slats. I really like white pickets. It could be (laughs) whatever it is, a a much bigger discussion. And that might be exactly what you're looking for. You might want to make this a joint project with your neighbors and you want to invite them to participate in that way. It might be about just sharing an invoice. If they want to chip in, you can think about the direction you want the conversation to go, but be ready for it to go in different directions once you open the door to really having a discussion because you're probably going to end up having a discussion. There's no need to work it all out at once. Another thing that I remind myself is you can introduce the topic, give someone time to think. You don't necessarily need to reach conclusions or make final decisions the first time that you sit down and talk about it. And 
It sounds like this is already a process that's been going on for a little while. You might want to keep it moving. Thinking about time frame is another way to prepare yourself for this kind of discussion. Don't assume too much. Don't assume that they're going to be on the hook for 50% of it or that they're obligated in some way. I like that reminder from Cousin Lizzie that someone might say no for all kinds of reasons. They might like your fence idea. They might want to chip in. It just might not be in the budget right now. That time frame discussion could be a big part of it. Maybe if we did it next summer. Oh, yeah, it'd be easier for us to plan for it. Maybe you don't want to wait till next summer. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) there could be a lot of back and forth here. The one thing that I will say about the the potential for the back and forth is be careful about taking someone's somewhat soft or gentle no and trying to nudge it into a yes. If you're going to build the fence this summer, I think you don't want to start a conversation that says, well, I'm going to build this summer, but maybe we could check in next April about whether you could pay me back for half of it. That's when you start to just just build the fence and move beyond it. It's There's, there's a certain point where I think it starts to reach too much into really trying to control that money out of someone, and I think you don't want to get into that area. Like For me, there were... I had been asked a couple times and a couple times I hadn't someone even made the suggestion that maybe my parents could help out. And that really made me mad Um, because I'm like, you know, you're not supposed to be speculating on, you know, who helps out with what around my house. So if I say no, it's not in the budget, then it's not in the budget. And so I do think be careful about what you try to suggest as a workaround or what might be possible to make it happen. Ask lots of questions, see what they're open to. But I like that tip to sort of stay in your lane. There is a great – is it Mark Twain that said good fences make good neighbors? Oh, I, I forget no where idea. it came from, but <laughs> this is such a classic neighbor question. I really enjoyed getting it. It's a boundary question, which is where some of the most interesting etiquette happens. Elise, good luck with the future discussions. Good luck with the construction. Now, how could anything possibly happen to these boys? He doesn't stop to think that the fence was put up for a reason. But lucky for Nick, he's not alone. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Our next question is titled, Awkward Ex-Introductions. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. My boyfriend and I love your show. We hoard the episodes and then use it to get through all our long drives to see family. Oh, that's great. (laughs) Here's my question. My ex-husband and I have been divorced very amicably for five years now. While we spent most of our 20s together, we were actually only married for two years. Since we still see each other now in large group gatherings, it has always been slightly awkward when people ask how we know each other. I feel that by saying we used to be married, we are unexpectedly plunging strangers into a personal matter when they were just making polite chit-chat. While we met at the newspaper in college, true, might be too vague and awkward if they find out from someone else about our past relationship. This is made slightly more complicated by the fact that I still use my ex-husband's last name. But as time has gone on, bringing up our past relationship has seemed less and less relevant to today. 
Here's the catch. My ex-husband is remarrying this summer, and my boyfriend and I are invited to a fall reception celebrating him and his soon-to-be wife. I really don't want to stand around this particular occasion introducing myself as the groom's ex-wife. Am I all right just saying we met in college, or is there another tasteful reply I could be using? Thanks so much for your consideration, Marie. It's a great question. Marie, thank you for this question. And I think that you're likely to hear a pretty broad answer from Lizzie and me on this one because you have a lot of choice here. It's really up to you how much you want to share and the way that you choose to share it. In some ways, I think that what you've said sounds perfectly reasonable to me. You can always go with that kind of vague approach and I'm thinking like two tiers of vague oh, we've known each other for a long time, sort of a knowing smile. We've been friends for a long time. We've known each other for a long time. Oh, really? How? Or where did you meet? That's comes up next, Becomes right? the, the follow-up question to that kind of vagary. We met in college. We've known each other since college. Mm-hmm. Our ways to... Keep it vague. Keep it vague. Give a little bit of specific. Put it far enough in the past that there's room for plenty to have occurred mm-hmm. since then. Also, that we've known each other since college reply is one way to give a little bit of information about a time in life where someone might know better than to inquire further. Dan's talking about his famous secret language, folks, and that's that there are terms and there are phrases and there are winks and nods and smiles and the way things are said that mean there's a whole lot here that that is underlying. I tend to go the, like, I don't pick up on that stuff at all route. Like, so it's, if you were talking to me, I'd be the person who would keep asking questions, like, unabashedly. Which could totally happen. You could have that person who says oh really and what's happened since then really like mining and trying to find out more were you guys in like the same group did you play on the same like intramural college team did you ever date (laughs) like yeah exactly and if that continues to happen at some point you get to say either i'm not comfortable with the discussion or you just say the thing that you weren't wanting to lay out right off the bat right and in this case that thing is a pretty low stakes thing so i think you're in pretty good shape you can Go with that sort of broad answer. You can have a couple tiers of it. You're probably never going to get to the specifics. But if you do, I think that's something that's really probably okay in this situation. And I think so too. I, You know me. I cut to the honesty straight away. I'm just like, just say it. Just say, you know, oh, we, we used to be married or, you know, formally married. Whatever it is, it's easy. But I think when you say it casually and you say, you know, so happy to be here now celebrating them today, I think I that's like that. the, the quick move on that says, okay, ex-wife, but we're still, we're happy to be here. She's clearly standing here with another gent. Like, she's clearly been invited. People snap into place really, really quickly. Our, especially when you have that kind of confidence. So me, I would just say, former wife, but so happy to be here celebrating the couple today. And we used to be married, I think is nice because someone is literally receiving the title of husband and wife on this day or wife and wife or husband and husband on this day. And so it's really nice to not kind of like steal that thunder. And so I would use the phrase, we used to be married, we used to be together, uh, you know, those kinds of things I think work. 
I love your idea of turning the conversation, of giving the information, but also being ready to share how happy you are for him now, how happy you are for the couple, how excited you are to be there, any of those things. And by the way, this is my lovely boyfriend, Brent, <laughs> like, you know, whatever his name is. They start to give people enough information to yeah. respond to you in a way that isn't awkward. Yeah. So the situation isn't awkward if you don't feel awkward about it and giving an indication that you don't feel awkward will keep you in that comfortable place. Marie, we hope this helps and we hope you have a fabulous time at the wedding and other future events with your ex. Introductions are good manners because they're friendly and help people be at ease with each other. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Our next question is about tipping with peer pressure and diet restrictions. Dear Awesome Etiquette, recently I was out to dinner with a friend and I was treating. My friend saw that I was tipping our waitress exactly 20% and told me to tip more because she had gone out of her way to check that a certain menu item was vegan. I was very satisfied with our service, but it didn't even occur to me that I would tip over 20%. I am not made of money. I thought 20% was reserved for good service anyway. Other people have praised me for tipping 20% given that I am a college student with little money. I told my friend I was going to tip 20%, and at that point, he very loudly said, Come on, she went out of her way to the kitchen for you. Tip well, all with exclamation points. You should really try working in a restaurant. I felt so humiliated and bullied into tipping more than I intended, so I reluctantly added an extra dollar. He later chided me, saying that it should have been an extra $2. So my questions are the following. One, under which circumstances is it acceptable to tell the person you're paying how to tip? Two, when does overtipping become an obligation? I did not feel that I significantly inconvenienced our waitress. Our table was right next to the kitchen. We were one of the only parties in the restaurant, and I did not feel I was rude or demanding towards her. I thought she was great. Three, does having dietary restrictions require that you overtip, as in over 20%, Every time you ask a server if your food is vegan, gluten-free, nut-free, whatever your restriction is. Or ask for a menu item to omit a certain ingredient. For example, ordering a sandwich but asking for no cheese. Thank you for your time. I look forward to listening to your upcoming podcast. I loved Dan's answer so much to these three questions that I'm going to read them just as he wrote them. One, never. Two, it doesn't. Three, nope, period, you don't. And I added four, your friend is a jerk. But it's like, I'm just throwing that out there. Um, you were completely financially and food restrictively shamed. Oh my goodness. I want to hug you and be like, you're fine. Don't worry. Like, And I was a server. I know. There's like, lots of bad etiquette here and none of it is yours. Oh my goodness. We do not pay for every little interaction. I want to say that clearly. We do not, as Americans, just because 
because we are the most tip-happy country in the world. Do not pay or charge for every single tiny interaction that we have. And double-checking that a menu item is vegan. I'm assuming it was listed as vegan or at least it looked like it could have been vegan. So there's a slight double-check, I think, is absolutely within the grounds of a 20% tip. It does not require extra. What requires extra is when the kitchen creates a whole dish for you out of nothing or when a server managed to go above and beyond for you or when you have made the mistake of being that person who asks a server every single time they come to the table for something different or some adjustment or something rather than kind of asking for three or four adjustments in one swoop making it efficient for them to move. And inquiring or about the order. Exactly. Like those are the things that start to bring up. We've talked about how normal amount of, of baby mess at a table, not needing to over tip. When there's food on the floor, when there's spills on the table, when it, then it's, you know, you probably want to add some tip. But I think that I agree with my cousin 100%. I think your friend was out of line to shame you for this publicly. I would have felt humiliated too. I think your friend behaved really badly. <laughs> discount. It's also none of your friend's business if you're the one treating for the meal how much you're tipping. And that is one that we will get debate on because some people feel like they are then misrepresented. And so that is something worth taking into consideration. And you might even turn to this friend and say to him, without any kind of sarcasm, which I will probably not be good at delivering here. <laughs> Something like, I'm sorry, were you offended? Were you embarrassed? We can go add more tip if you were embarrassed by the tip that I left. But I feel like that's starting to get into that snarky tad- category. You know what I mean? Dan's like, yeah, you're snarking out. <laughs> but it's okay, because in some ways, I think this question deserves a little bit of that. You there, think so? Do I, you really? I, I mean, do. I think this friend behaved. After five years, are we finally saying that people deserve it? A little bit. Okay. <laughs> Someone who would scold you for not tipping well when you're tipping 20%. Right. I think really starts to rise to maybe the level where a little etiquette scold isn't inappropriate. I think that... Etiquette scold to the person scolding you. Exactly. Okay, gotcha, 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 gotcha. And I just want to clarify here. I want to read the questions with the proper answers so oh, that we've sure. got them solid. You got it. Under which circumstance is it acceptable to tell a person paying how to tip? Never. Never particularly if they've already tipped 20%. The social contract etiquette safe territory is 15 to 20%. If you're at 20%, you're at the high end of that range already. By all means, if you feel so inspired, you can go over, but you're good at 20%. You've heard, you know, don't look at my paper, don't don't, you know, look at my yard, don't look at my notebook. I've heard it said a million different ways to not compare your life to someone else's. But the other one is don't look at my wallet. Like, it's, if, if you're, I'm treating you, don't look at my wallet. <laughs> when does over-tipping become an obligation? Question two, it doesn't. If you're in that comfortable territory, that 15 to 20 percent, you're not obligated to tip more than that. That is an obligation. You're supposed to tip if you take table service. 15 to 20 percent, yeah. Beyond that really is up to you. And finally, does having dietary restrictions require that you over-tip? It really doesn't. That is not something that's above and beyond when it comes to making demands on a restaurant staff or kitchen. It really is a reasonable thing to say, what are the ingredients in these dishes and is it possible to make this sandwich without a slice of cheese? That is a a very reasonable request to make. It doesn't put you in the I'm demanding category. Absolutely. 
Anonymous, we hope that this answer helps and that you're able to continue tipping with that spirit of generosity that makes it feel good both for you and the person who's receiving the tip. And therein lies the secret of the growth and popularity of one of our biggest industries, the restaurant. But not all people like the same food, served in the same way and at the same price. Therefore, we have different types of restaurants, offering different types of service to meet varying tastes. Our next question is titled, Thank You Notes Delivered by Hand? Lizzie and Dan, I love your show. I was writing some thank you notes this weekend when I hit a snag and couldn't decide how best to proceed. Then I remembered I could ask you guys. Here's my question. I am about to have a baby. My first congratulations. Yay! And have been blessed to have been given several baby showers. One shower was given by a law firm where my husband works. It is a small firm of about 20 people, and I've known many of his coworkers for several years. The shower was awesome, and his coworkers were extremely generous. I have started to write thank you notes, and this is where I hit my problem. I do not have their home addresses. Some solutions I have thought of is mailing them to my husband's office, asking my husband to hand deliver them to each person who attended the shower, or I can stalk them, find their home addresses, and mail them that way. That just seems a tad creepy. Is it tacky to hand deliver thank you notes? I know the most important thing is to write a prompt personal note to each gift giver, but I would love your advice on the best way to deliver them. Thanks for answering my question. Blessing, Amy. Amy, thank you for your question. This is in some ways a bit of a classic. I think we've dealt with a version of this question before where Lizzie and I had slightly different answers. But the way that you're thinking about it, I think, helps us find the common ground, which is very practical. And I really appreciate that. You've got the big picture advice firmly in place, which is that the important thing is that you write a note and get it to them. Number one, number one. (laughs) The best is the enemy of the good. As long as that is your prime directive, (laughs) as long as that is the, the, the clear best solution, how you get there is of less consequence than that bigger question. Agreed. But let's get down into the weeds just a little bit, because for me, there's something special about getting something in the mail. I love that stamp (laughs) over the stamp, that postmark stamp. I think that it formalizes the whole communication. I think that there's something kind of neat just about receiving something in the post. You should see the smile on Dan's face. He's so geeking out over this. It is. No, it is. It's a really special thing. And the last time we talked about it, you laughed at me for being such a geek. And I appreciate that. It's so cute. I love it. It's like what it's part of your personality I love is when you get excited about things. I'm often the one geeking out over stuff. (laughs) So for me there's this sort of tiered approach where I would try to have it delivered to their home. It's a personal thanks for a personal thing. I don't think there's anything creepy about trying to figure out someone's home address. We oftentimes say you've got to be a bit of a detective. This is a personal thanks. So having that kind of personal connection shouldn't feel weird to anybody. It's also a personal thanks for an event thrown in your honor by these people at this place. Like you're in really good stead here. This is not creeper territory. If the shower happened at the office and it was really sort of a work organized, it had a very worky feel, I can see a situation where you would send the thanks to everybody at the office, where you would send it to them individually but at the address of the office to get it to them. A definite backup plan for sure. And not 
completely out of character with the nature of the event that I just described. Now, if it was at someone's home and it was more of a personal event, even though its origins were in the workplace, I I would work harder to get those home addresses. I think a third tier of having your husband hand deliver them gets them to people. And I think the best is the enemy of the good. Get them to people. I just also like that idea of it arriving and showing up at home in the post in that air quotes around the word special, special way. I would probably, if you want to make that home delivery happen, I would ask the person who hosted or organized the shower and just say, you know, would it be too much for me to ask or would it be improper for me to ask for the home addresses, home addresses of the people who came to the shower? The, it's just, it, it's a good way to go about it. That person organized this group and they might even tell you, oh, just send them all here and we'll distribute them to everyone. They might say that. If it wasn't everyone who was invited, if it was only a smaller group, I would really push for home delivery. I think that's really key. Let's say it is a 20-person firm, but only the people on this particular department or this particular type of law work. I don't know what we're doing. The 10 people who've known your husband the, the longest. Okay, whatever it is, yeah. but I would definitely make sure to, to do that. But Amy, your husband can also help with this. This is, you know, he can do the detective work that's perfectly all right. These gifts were for both of you and the baby. I mean, maybe not exactly some of them, but he'll be happy for all of them for you. But I would definitely say that that could be something he could investigate as well. Amy, we wish you all the best with the rest of the pregnancy, and we are so excited for your new little bundle of joy. Thank you for your questions. Please send us updates, comments, or feedback on our answers to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. And we do love to hear your feedback. Please do keep it coming. You can also leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can also reach us on Twitter, where we're at emilypostinst, or on Facebook, where we're Awesome Etiquette. Just use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette in your post or feedback so that we know you want your question or feedback on the show. Speaking of feedback, it's time for our feedback segment where we hear from you about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. And today comes from a familiar voice who we've heard from before on this show, Aria Benjamin. And he is writing in about episode number 238. It's a response to gluten-free, yes, I'm sure. I spent some months on an extremely restricted diet for medical reasons, above and beyond my normal restricted diet. I learned that it is not inappropriate, nor as uncomfortable as I expected, to simply not eat while out with others. I would order a tea or sometimes a few cut uncooked and unseasoned vegetables. When asked, I would give a smile and a politely evasive answer, something along the lines of, that's all I want, or I'm completely content, thank you. On one occasion, I called the restaurant in advance and arranged for a plate to be prepared to fit my diet because the event was scheduled in advance and promised to go on for several hours. You should never feel pressed to share private medical information, even with friends if you don't want to, especially in public. I know how strong that well-meaning impulse to explain can feel, but you do not have to explain yourself or your eating habits to anyone if you choose not to. Thank you for your show every week. I learn more each episode, and it helps me to build myself little by little into the kind of person I'd like to be. Arya Benjamin, thank you so much. I love love hearing your feedback. 
And I love the sample script. Right? To me, it, it sounds so natural. That's all I want. Or I'm completely content. Hearing I'm completely content from someone is a really comforting thing to hear. It is. A subject I've been talking a lot about is positive confidence and how much when you deliver something with positive confidence that you really, and I know that sounds a little redu- like positive confidence, but it is. It's it's a good thing. But you say, I'm really fine or I'm okay. Don't worry. I'm content. All these things, when said really clearly and confidently, people have a hard time pushing further on you with them. And so at that table, I love the idea of having tea or just a little bit of something that you can eat off the menu and letting people know that you really are truly satisfied. And then you just keep the conversation on them. Like, ask them a question. We do that redirecting thing, right? Like, keep it moving. Keep it going. What a nice thing to know as a host or a fellow guest that the people that you're with are doing well. Right? (laughs) Thank you for this. And thank you for sending us your thoughts and updates. Please, please, please keep them coming. You can send your comment or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. It's time for our Postscript segment where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And today we are going to continue with our series on how to eat from the 19th edition of Emily Post's Etiquette. At the very end of the book, we have a lovely, lovely section on how to eat all kinds of tricky foods. And today we are going to uh, start with with salads and end in seafood. And so we're going to start with the ground and move move to the sea. From S to S. Yes, from S to S. <laughs> Dan, take us away with salads, please. It's a tiny, tiny section. <laughs> so the big piece of advice for eating salad is that large pieces of lettuce or other salad greens can be cut with a knife and fork. However, don't make beautiful salads into coleslaw by cutting them up into small pieces all at once. I love that. Typically, we're talking about like a one, two, three, and then turn your plate in a one, two, three, or turn your angle of your fork in a one, two, three, and you've got a decently chopped salad. Salads are tough these days. People are getting really creative with how to deliver a salad, and that can make for some adventurous eating. But so if you've got one of those big wedge salads, you know, that is something you're going to need to chop up and then mix on your plate or what you're doing is you're chopping about half of it, mixing that, and then tackling the other half next. The whole leaf romaine Caesar. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But it should be noted that all kinds of wonderful goodies can come in salads, so you might need a knife. Often the American table setting does not include a salad knife. This is something I am really trying to change. One one woman effort. It's not going far, guys. Um, but it's true. It's often we do end up needing that salad to cut that piece of artichoke or that egg or that cherry tomato. If we're able to cut the cherry tomato, there's lots of things that end up in our salads that could use a, a little bit of a chop. And it's worth mentioning a couple of times because once upon a time, people said you didn't use a knife with your salad. Ever. And <laughs> maybe that came from uh, silver getting tarnished by salad dressings. Maybe it came from other places. But that prohibition on using a knife with your salad is long gone. Our next section is titled Seafood Stews. 
Seafood stews such as bouillabaisse are made with varying combinations of fish, octopus, shrimp, and scallops, as well as clams, mussels, and crab legs, often in their shells. You'll need not only a soup spoon, but also a seafood fork and knife, and sometimes a shellfish cracker. A large bowl should be placed on the table for discarded shells. If no receptacle is provided, place empty shells on the plate under your soup bowl. You could also very easily ask your server for an extra bowl. Most restaurants provide it, but just in case they haven't, you could absolutely ask. Um, I just want to eat a seafood stew right now. Oh, I know. Right? Sounds so good. It's so good. So this next section delves deeper into how exactly you might deal with that whole crab leg in your seafood stew. This is the shellfish section. By their very nature, shellfish call for special implements to get to the meat inside the armor plating. Crab legs. Use crackers to open the leg and a pick or seafood fork to remove the meat. Then eat it using the small fork. Soft shell crab. A soft shell crab is eaten shell and all, whether it is served in a sandwich or on a plate, in which case the crab is cut with a knife and fork down the middle and then into bite-sized sections. Lobster. Whole. A large paper napkin or plastic bib is provided for the lobster eater. Be sure to wear it, since handling this shellfish usually results in more than a few squirts and splashes. You'll also be given a shell cracker, a small fork, a knife, and a pick. Holding the lobster steady with one hand, twist off the claws and place them on the side of your plate. Using the cracking tool, a shellfish cracker or nutcracker, crack each claw slowly to reduce squirting. And I'll also say to prevent little tiny bits and pieces of the shell, shell from getting yes. everywhere. Good point. And pull out the meat with a fork or lobster pick. You'll need to remove the meat from the tail, often already cut into two solid pieces and cut into bite-sized pieces. Spear each piece of meat with your fork and dip it into the accompanying butter or sauce before eating. True lobster lovers get an additional morsel out of the legs by breaking them off one at a time, putting them into the mouth, broken end first, and squeezing the meat out with the teeth. That happens to be my favorite part of eating lobster. You and Cindy Senna. I love the legs. A large bowl or platter should be provided for the empty shells. Finger bowls with hot water and lemon slices are often put at each place as soon as the meal is finished, or in less formal settings, pre-moistened towelettes are provided. Remove the bib before dessert. The person clearing the table will dispose of it. Lobster tail. When just the tail is served, baked, broiled, stuffed, or lobster salad in the shell, use a fork and knife if necessary. Oh, this has me wanting lobster very badly. That's the danger of this tricky food section. I know, I know. I get so hungry. (laughs) We're continuing on in shellfish with mussels, one of my favorites. When eating whole mussels served either in a broth or sauce, use a fork or spoon to remove the mussel from its shell and eat it in one bite. If you need to, you can steady the mussel with your fingers. Don't eat any mussels that haven't opened at least halfway. They may be spoiled. Anywhere but at a formal dinner, it's fine to pick up the shell and a little of the juice, then eat the mussel and juice directly off the shell. The juice or broth remaining in your bowl can either be eaten with a spoon or sopped up with pieces of bread speared onto your fork. Empty shells are placed in a bowl or plate provided for discards on the edge of your plate or left in your bowl. 
oysters and clams on the half shell. Now this is a post family favorite. Dan and I often、uh, sneak out of the office at 4 p.m. for a little dollar oyster hour in downtown Burlington when we can. Oysters and clams on the half shell. When served raw, oysters and clams are usually opened, the top shell removed, and served on cracked ice. Arranged around a container of cocktail sauce and garnished with a lemon wedge or two. Often with oysters, you'll have some kind of mignonette sauce, or you'll have、um, other varying options. Hot sauce is another one we see really common. Horseradish. Exactly. Hold the shell with the fingers of one hand and a shellfish fork or smallest fork provided with the other hand. Spear the clam or oyster with the fork. Dip it into your sauce, or squeeze on a spritz of lemon and eat it in one bite. If there's a communal bowl of sauce, spoon some onto your plate or onto the shellfish. Never dip raw food into communal sauce. At a picnic, an oyster or clam bar, or a raw bar, it's fine to pick up the shell with your fingers and eat the meat and juice right off the shell. Sometimes I like to do a combination where I'll, if I'm at a restaurant.、Um, And this is again not a, a terribly formal occasion,、um, but I'll use the fork to make sure that the meat has been completely dislodged from the shell, and then I'll squeeze my lemon onto it and eat it right out of the shell. But I give myself that that one little extra step just to make sure that it's going to be easy to get the meat off the shell, and I'm not struggling now with shell and meat and mouth and trying to figure that out. Shrimp. For shrimp cocktail, use your fork if the tails are off. It's okay to use your fingers if the tail has been left on. The traditional utensil is an oyster fork, although any small fork will do. If the shrimp are bigger than one bite's worth, just spear each shrimp with your fork and cut it on the underplate on which it's served. Shrimps served as a main course are eaten with a fork and knife. Shrimp can also be served unpeeled, as in a shrimp boil, in which case they are finger food. Pick up the shrimp, insert a thumbnail under the shell at the top end, the opposite end from the tail, to loosen it. Then work the shell free and eat the meat. An extra plate should be provided to hold the discarded shells. If not, arrange them on the edge of your plate. Shrimp served as an hors d'oeuvre are eaten with the fingers. Hold a shrimp by the tail and dip it into cocktail sauce if you like. Just be sure not to double dip. The other thing we should mention is that when shrimp is served tail on but in a saucy dish, you want to use your fork and knife for that. I'm thinking sometimes they leave it on in a lot of pasta dishes and things. Steamed clams, aka steamers. Steamers are finger food. Don't eat any steamed clams that haven't opened at least halfway. They may be spoiled. Open the shell fully, holding it with one hand. Then slip the skin off the neck with your fingers and put it aside. Holding the neck in your fingers, dip the clam into the broth or melted butter, or both, and eat it in one bite. If no bowl is provided for empty shells, deposit them around the edge of your plate. In a more casual setting, it's okay to drink the broth after you've finished eating the clams. If you're a guest, follow the host's lead. And by drink the broth, we do mean either from the shell itself, or we mean using、um, your spoon to get it out of the bowl, or using a fork with bread on the end to sop it up and actually eat it. But we don't mean picking up your bowl and sipping straight from it. 
I love the reminder here also that the host has a pretty wide latitude in yeah. terms of giving permission or encouragement for people to enjoy tricky foods in whatever way is going to be easiest and most delicious. Yes. So your father loves to play host when it comes to <laughs> shellfish and to sort of gloriously pick them up and slurp them off the half shell and to give everyone permission to follow suit because he thinks that's the best way to eat them. And I watched Dad and Uncle Billy, who many of you have heard on this show, debate about whether you should lemon all of the oysters on a platter or whether you just lemon the oyster that you're taking. Dan is saying, no, absolutely not. And I'm going, lemon makes every better. <laughs> but no, it is it is important to recognize when you're taking from a communal plate and when this is your own plate and, as Dan loves to say, what role you're playing. Uh, we will conclude next week with finishing off the S's and, uh, and then that is the end of our How to Eat series. But we hope that you all have been enjoying this and maybe trying a few foods in a few new ways. Cauliflower and cabbage are good, too. Yes, there are hundreds of wonderful vegetables. The important thing is that all kinds of vegetables are good for you, whether they're raw or cooked. They're important for good health, for lots of energy and pep. We like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world. And that can come in so many forms. Today we hear from Leslie. Hello, Dan and Lizzie. I would love to give an etiquette salute to my amazing neighbors. My significant other and I have a second home in a town three hours away from our day jobs. This town is a well-known regional outdoorsy vacation spot with four distinct seasons, so we spend most weekends and a few weeks a year here. We struck gold and have the most wonderful neighbors on both sides. We are not at the house full-time. They keep an eye out and help us out when weather events occur. Some examples include bringing in our garbage cans, debris bins, etc. almost every week, putting Amazon packages that arrive early in our garage, including some very heavy ones that we told them to leave but they insisted on doing anyway. We do live in a safe neighborhood. Texting me photos of the first spring blooms or beautiful fall foliage, inviting me to go snowboarding with them when they know I'm visiting alone, repairing our side fence when it fell over in a windstorm and only asking to share in the cost of the materials. Aha, relevant question. Mm -hmm. Keeping our sidewalks clear after a snowfall. And in three winters, we have had two once-every-20-year snowfalls, three-plus feet of falling in 24 to 48 hours, and they plowed our driveway both times. The list goes on. We cannot thank them enough for all they do. Providing them with gift cards to local restaurants, cash for their teenagers who also help with snow removal, and gifts each Christmas are the small tokens of appreciation we can give them. These are genuinely nice people and expect nothing in return. This is the type of world I grew up in as a child, and it fills my heart to know there are still neighbors out there who carry on the good neighbor traditions. P.S. They dote on my dog so much that when we're in the front yard and my dog sees them, she runs over and tries to follow them inside their house <laughs> literally every time. Dogs know good people. Thank you, Leslie. Oh, Leslie, that is an excellent salute. We are so glad that you have such wonderful neighbors. You truly struck gold. Thank you for sharing with us. And thank you for listening. Thank you to everyone who sent us something. Please connect with us and share this show with friends, family, and coworkers. 
and share on social media. We really appreciate it. You can send us questions, comments, and salutes by email to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can reach us by phone where you can leave us a voice message or a text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, I'm at Daniel underscore Post. And I'm at Lizzie A. Post. That's Lizzie with an I-E. On Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. Please consider becoming a sustaining member. You can find out more about this by visiting awesomeetiquette.emilypost.com. You can also subscribe to the regular with ads version of the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And please, if you like the show, consider leaving us a review. It really helps with the show ranking. Our show is edited by Chris Albertine and assistant produced by Bridget Dowd. Thanks, Thanks Chris, Chris and Bridget. And Bridget.